Last week we started a new series um, through the book of Nehemiah. We're in a season of fasting, and uh, our, our series that we are walking through in Nehemiah is called Awaken Us, and, and we looked at the life of this man named Nehemiah, and how he was just going about his everyday life, just going to work and doing the everyday thing, and, and God showed up, and God started to awaken him, started to stir him, started to get his attention and started to just make him upset about the distance that there was between he and his people and God. He had this moment where he, he woke up and he started to realize that, that he and his people had been unfaithful to God. And so we talked about his response was to turn to God in prayer. We talked about how he came to God in three different ways. He came to honestly and humbly. He came bearing and believing God's promises. And, and he came presenting himself as God's servant who was open to God's stirring. And so we broke up at the end of uh, our teaching last week and we got in groups and we prayed and we just said, hey, identify where you are spiritually. Are you, are you awake? Are you, are you dead? Are you, are you fully uh, alive? Where are you uh, in God? And then where do you need God to meet you? And so today we're gonna be continuing in our series of Awaken Us, looking at chapter two and, and looking in particular about how God and Nehemiah kept kindling that which God had put in Nehemiah's heart. I don't know what God is doing in your life. I mean, I wish I had time to sit down with each and every one of you and just go, hey, tell me about what, what God is doing in your life, Gerald, and on God. And tell me what, what God's doing in your life, Jamie and Beth. And, and, and tell me about what God's doing, doing in your life. And, and the reality is I don't know what God's doing in your life. I don't know if when you were here last week, God started to stir something in you. I don't know if, if God was, was beginning or if he has been calling you to himself to begin a relationship. I don't know if God started to, to put an idea in your heart of a ministry or a way to serve someone around you. I don't know if God's started to, to, to help you care about the people in your life that are around you that don't know Jesus. I don't know what it is that, that God is doing in your life, but this is what I do know. So often when God starts stirring something in us, like when he comes to us and, and Kelly starts like tapping us on the shoulder and, and, he, and he wakes us up, one of the things that we are so prone to do just as human beings when God starts to stir us, when God starts to wake us up, it is our tendency so often to hit the spiritual snooze button. That when God starts to wake us up, our tendency as human beings is to so easily just to, to get back in bed, to let the conviction fade. That we get busy or we get lazy or we stumble into sin and we fall and we think that, that God could no longer use someone like us. And, and, and we look back at our life and there was once a flame, just a bright and a warm flame that God had put in our hearts, something that would provide hope and love and freedom for people. And now we look and because of whatever circumstance, it's a small flicker. At Christmas, one of my family's things that, that we do, we go to my in-laws on Christmas Day and Courtney's parents have a, a fireplace that you put real wood in and we just love it. There's something about the, the crackle of the fire and the warmth and, and, and my kids love it especially. And, and we go over there on Christmas Day and it's cold and, and it's so amazing because what you, you understand when you step in my, my in-laws' den is that it's everyone's responsibility to keep the fire going that it's not my father-in-law's and it's not my mother-in-law's. It's like, if you are there, if you're sitting in the den, if no one else is there, it is your job to make sure the family stays warm, that the fire keeps burning. And so this morning, what we're coming to God, we're going, God, you know, if, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, I believe that God is speaking to you. If you are a Christian, God is working in your life and we're refusing to be a community that gets back in bed, that hits snooze on the things that God has for us. We're going, God, we want you. And so this morning, what we're asking God is, hey, would you put another log on the fire? 
God, would you allow us to, to take a log and to put it on the fire that's stirring in the person sitting next to me, God, because we want to burn bright and full for you. And so what do we do when God starts putting something in our hearts? We're gonna learn from Nehemiah's life. And I wanna say this, that there are kind of four things that I've noticed. There are probably many more things that you would notice. And this is not linear. It's not chronological. This is not, hey, when, when God does this, this is what you can expect, these four steps. No, this is, this is just helping us understand some ways that God has worked in the past. So in chapter one, Nehemiah's heart is broken. And what does he do? The first thing that I think we see in chapter two, verse one, is that Nehemiah persists in the waiting. Nehemiah persists in the waiting. Verse one, it says, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. And so last week, the very first verse of, I think it's the first verse, yeah, of, of chapter one. It started in the month of Kislev, and now we're in the month of Nisan. And, and we don't know that because we weren't in touch with the Persian calendar, but that was four months difference. That four months have passed. And I'm going to think about that. There's something significant there, that, that God breaks his heart in January, and he doesn't reply. Something doesn't happen until April. And in our culture, in, in our day, we expect that that when God starts doing something and as we expect supposed to do something with it two hours later or the next day and we feel like we're a failure when nothing has come to fruition and we learn something about God that he doesn't work on our same time frame. You see, I believe that what we learn from Nehemiah here is that God doesn't only seem to be concerned with our efficiency, with what we can do for God. How do we know this? Look at Jesus. The son of God, go back and read the gospels. Do you realize that Jesus didn't start his ministry until he was 30 years old? And we read that and we go, man, you, God, you wasted 30 years of life. <laughs> like if we're writing the story, as soon as Jesus can walk and talk, he's like casting out demons and walking on water at one years old, right? And for some reason, God knew, no, there needed to be a waiting. We see this with Sarah and with Abraham in Genesis chapter 11, God showed up and he said, I'm gonna bless you with a baby. Do you know how long it took for God to come through on that? 25 years. You see, for some of you here, God has put something in your heart and you're so frustrated because nothing seems to be happening. God put it on your heart to get in a house church or to lead a house church. And the house church that you're in, if you're being honest, the house church that you're leading is terrible. And it's tanking and it's not going exactly how you thought it would go, right? And, and you're, you're sitting here going, God, why isn't this working? And you have no idea what is going on in the waiting. Some of you took a job because God put it on your heart to do it or you moved to a different city because God put it on your heart to do that. And you're going, God, nothing seems to be happening. And I wanna say this, what we do in the waiting is so unbelievably important. Do we jump ship in the waiting? Do we give up? Do we take a bucket of water and dump it on the flame in the waiting? And I go, man, God seems to be doing something in the waiting. He does something to us in the waiting. And I don't know what, I can't explain it. I am not God. But there's something that he develops in us, a character trait or a perseverance or something that he's always working in the waiting. I love what we see in Nehemiah. He just keeps being faithful in his work. Did you notice that? For four months, he just shows up to his job. It's not like he has a pretty sweet job. He's just drinking wine for a living. Some of you would love that job. Like, that sounds way better than what I'm doing on Monday morning. Like, to drink good wine. I don't like wine, but some of you do, and 
Um, that's what he's doing for, for four months. He just shows up. He just, he just does what he's, he does his job. And nothing spiritual seems to be happening. He just keeps staying in the fire, but he also seems to keep kindling that which God has put in him. He won't let it die. He keeps thinking about it. We see this from chapter two, verse 12, where it's in this waiting where he discovers that it wasn't just some random idea to go back and, and to do something about the predicament in the city of Jerusalem. He realizes that God himself had put that. And I go, think about that. What if, what if God took four months in your life or six months or two years or 10 years, but you were absolutely certain that the God of the heavens that you cannot see has got something for you to do? Would you be okay waiting? And he won't let it die. Prayer seems to be this place that the fire keeps burning. And I go, if you come here today and, and God has something that he's put in your heart and he hasn't opened a door for you yet, don't be discouraged, okay? Keep kindling the, what God is doing in you by praying. Nehemiah persists in the waiting. The second thing I think that we see in this text is that, that an opportunity is presented. So it's not just that, that he persists in the waiting, that an opportunity is presented to him. In verse two, second part of verse one, he said, I had not been sad in this presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And I was very much afraid. And so for four months, he kept this here. He managed to keep it here. But this is just the way that, that fire works, that that what happens when, when fire gets oxygen? Crockett, I know, you know. What happens when fire gets oxygen? It grows, right? And so if you have a charcoal grill, you wanna know how you put out your fire? There's a lot of ways you can dump water on it, right? But if you cut off the oxygen supply, shut the top, shut off the vents, don't let any air in the fire will die. But what happens when, when God puts something in us and we don't let it die out, but we, let, we keep letting God breathe into us? What happens when we keep letting God speak into us by his spirit and forming and shaping things in us? What happens? The fire will grow. It will always come out. And the way it came out of Nehemiah this day is that he was sad. I love the, the fact that Artaxerxes even noticed, even cared. How many of you have bosses that you have a bad day, you're in a rough place of life and they don't even notice, they don't even care as long as you get your stuff done, right? He's the most powerful person in the land and he notices and he cares. God is working here. He's working in Artaxerxes, he's, he's working in you and I don't know when, and I don't know how, but if God has started something in us, if he is calling you to himself, if he has given you an idea, a way to serve, to advance the kingdom, if we will keep with God kindling what he has put in us through prayer, God will accomplish what he desires. That God is God and nothing can stop God's. Philippians chapter one, verse six. Will someone stand up and just read that? Philippians chapter one, verse six. I want us to hear this passage together. Philippians one, verse six. First one to get it, stand up, read really loud so we can all hear. I'm not gonna roast you like I did Dale last week, I promise. Who's a brave soul? Yeah, did you hear that? That that it's on God. 
It's about his power. It's about his ability to, to accomplish a task. And, and that means that we don't, when God has put something in us and we're just going, man, where's the opportunity? How am I supposed to do this, God? It means we don't have to stress. We don't have to be anxious. No, we persist in the waiting and we let God open a door for us. Think about two of my good friends. And God had put it in their heart that they were supposed to move into a, a neighborhood where everyone didn't look like them. They were supposed to move into a place where, where they could get to know their neighbors and they could learn about different people and different places and different circumstances. And, and they felt really called by God to, to step into this and to be a good neighbor and not just to, to have a place of, of living where you blocked out the world, but a place that you would invite the world in. And so they tried and they tried and they tried for uh, every, like every opportunity, every person they talked to, like there'd be an open door and it would be shut so quickly. And they kept asking and they kept Pressing in, they kept looking and nothing seemed to be happening. It was actually this weekend last year that God opened a door for them. They move into this incredible neighborhood. My friend was telling me, you know, he got invited, he and his wife, they got invited to this family reunion and they were the only white people at the whole family reunion. And he said, there was such love. He said, we have such favor. He said, everyone in our neighborhood is twice our age. He said, we have such favor with them. And I go, that's what happens. That when God puts something in us, God will give us an opportunity. The third thing I think we see in the book of Nehemiah through his story is that he pushes through his fear through the power of prayer. Nehemiah pushes through his fear through the power of prayer, starting in the second part of verse two. King asked me, why does your face look so sad? I was very much afraid. Verse three, I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? And I prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. I love this. Why is Nehemiah afraid? I don't fully know. I'm not exactly sure, but, but I know that part of the reason he's afraid is because he's stepping into the presence of the very man who had issued a decree that stopped the building in the city that he's trying to rebuild. This same Artaxerxes, if you go back and read Ezra chapter four, had issued a decree. So the people of God, the Israelites, the Jewish people had gone back to Jerusalem. They were starting to rebuild the city and Artaxerxes sends out a decree, no more building. Can you imagine what this was like for him? This isn't a perfect, this isn't a perfect example by any means, but I was trying to, to pull it into our relevant Context. This would be like President Trump having as his right, man, man, uh, right hand man a, a, a man from, from Syria. And when the travel ban was, was released last January for, the, for, for his right hand assistant to come to, into the Oval Office and to look the president in the eyes and to say, you gotta undo this. Could you imagine what that would be like? And here Nehemiah is, stepping into the presence of the most powerful person in the land. He says, I want to rebuild the city that you have stopped progress on personally. You see this great faith in Nehemiah. 
See, when you start to live out your faith, one of the things that you discover, one of the things that we discover is that fear always comes knocking. And what we realize when we start actually living out our faith is that this isn't a game. It's not just a Sunday show. We know that there's a real spiritual battle, that there are real forces that are working, trying to keep us from bringing out what God has put in us. A year and a half ago, we had a healing service here at Marathon. It was so cool. They were just, God was speaking to us. This is something that we were supposed to do as a community. And so I remember we, we, we had this time of prayer. Hey, if, if you need healing, there are people all around the room. Have the courage to get out of your seat and to go ask for prayer. And it was so cool because some of you, I don't, I, I've talked to you, so I know this, that, that you were sitting in that seat and you were so fearful, but your back was hurting so bad. And you're so fearful about getting up and how you were gonna look and how everyone was going to perceive you, but you said, I don't care. And some of you, you were met with the power of God. Some of you were instantly miraculously healed. And there's a guy from our church family. He had an incurable disease. An incurable disease, the doctors told him. Takes no medication. I'm not saying this is what you should do, but this is his story. Didn't get treatment, didn't do anything. He comes and he, and he prays. He prays and he asks God for healing and, and he goes back to the doctor and you know what? He was completely healed. And the doctors were, were marveled. This incurable disease, this thing that does not go away. My friend breaks down and he says, God healed me. And some of you, you, you met fear last year by getting up out of that seat and walking to the back and God healed you. And some of you, you had that same faith, you had that same courage, you had that same backache and you got up and you went and asked for prayer and nothing happened that you could see. But I'm telling you that the God of the heavens saw your faith. He saw you get up despite what other people would think and walk to the back and ask for prayer and he saw you walk courageously knowing that, that he is still God even though you didn't receive healing and, and the God of the heavens delights in your real and your beautiful faith and there are some things in this world spiritually that we can't see that are so much more rich and beautiful that are happening all around us. I also wanna acknowledge that the story doesn't always end this way. Some of you, you felt the call of God on your life to step beyond fear. God was calling you to himself to begin a relationship with him. So you gave your life to Jesus. You become a Christian and, and you go, man, that, that this is gonna be amazing, that my family will be okay with this and everyone around will be changed. And the reality is that you became a Christian and your family kind of wrote you off. Some of you, you are like Courtney and I and, and, and the place that you live, you go, man, I wanna be the presence of God and I want the people around me to love God. And so you've reached out to your neighbors and you invited them to be in your house church. You've invited them over for dinner. You've invited them into your life and there's been just complete, just stiff arm. And so I don't wanna say that every time we step through our fear, we're met with instant success, Okay. But I, want, I do want to say that sometimes that does happen. But it always happens in the context of prayer. I love that Nehemiah, right before he answers the king, he prays. He knows who his source, he knows who his strength is. He pushes through his fear through the power of prayer. And I think the final thing that we see in this text is that, that when God is stirring something in us, it will always come at a personal cost. 
Verse five, let him send me to the city so that I can rebuild it. See, something magnificent happened in Nehemiah's life in these four months. He quit being the center of his own universe. That he started to care about the predicament of others, no matter what it would cost him. And he realized that he needed to go. He realized that God had brought this to his attention and it wasn't someone else's responsibility that God had broken his heart and this is what God brought to him and I think it's so beautiful because he went. And I just was asking, you know, why is it that, that, that God, that the things that God has for us, why is it that they cost us so much personally? I think we tend to value things more that cost us. You buy some cheap sunglasses. You don't care if you sit on them. You don't care if you leave them at the beach. You don't care what happens to them. You can get another pair, right? But think about the things that cost you, like really cost you. Your house payment. You treat your house different than you treat someone else's, right? When you have to pay for your own car, Treat it differently. Your clothes. There's something about us paying for things. We tend to value them more. When the things that God has for us, when they cost us things personally, I don't know why God does it that way. I don't know why it has to cost us But I know that when we invest in things, we become such, we become much more interested in them. We care about them. We think about them more. And I wonder if this is part of the reason that things come at a cost. It's because when things come at a cost, our hearts are connected. Like I said, I don't know what it is that God is bringing to your attention. I don't know what God has for your life, but I do know that it will cost you. But the good things in life, the things of God so often cost us personally. But here's the deal. We so often get in this place of of wanting to do things for God. We want a to-do list. We want our chores, right? We want want to go and to please God. And I think all those things are, are good and fine. Like, it's amazing that you have such a heart that you want to please your Father in heaven, that you want to please Jesus, your Savior, that you want to please the Holy Spirit. I, I love that about you. I think God does too. But if the gospel, if it hasn't, if it doesn't take root in us, then we will never bring to fulfillment these things that, that God has for us. Until you, Dan, understand how much you cost God. Kimberly, until you realize how much you cost God, we will never be willing to spend our lives for him. We will never give our lives to doing what God wants to do through us. But when the gospel grasps us, when we, when we understand that, that Jesus came as a man, that he, he lived as a human being, that he felt the pains of hunger that some of you have felt this week as fasting, like he, he knew hunger. 
He knew not what it was like to, to hunger from perspective of God. He knew what it was like to, to hunger as a human being. He, he knew what it felt to, to feel the pain of sadness. Our God didn't stand distant from this. He came and he entered our story. He knew what it felt like to lose a friend. He wept in John chapter 11 as he lost a friend. He felt the pain of crucifixion. He felt the realness of separation from God. And some of us, man, we felt that. He felt the weight of God's judgment for our sin. And when we realize how much we personally cost God and what we receive from God. I love Romans chapter eight, verses 15 through 18. Someone stand up and read that for us. Romans chapter eight, verses 15 through 18. I love this passage of scripture. Romans 8, verses 15 through 18. I know someone's there. You're just shy. Stand up and do it. Just read it. Nicole, you got it. You see, when, when, when we grasp the gospel, when we realize that, that we are not God's slaves, but that we are God's sons, that we are God's daughters, that, that we have the inheritance, that we will be forever with God, when we understand how much we have been given, how much we cost God, there's no price that we won't pay. When the gospel really grasps us, when we realize that we were distant from God, that we were separated from God, that we deserve judgment and that God chose to take our place and to give us righteousness and to make us sons and to give us inheritance. When we understand that, there's no price that we won't pay for God. This is the way I feel about my mother and my father-in-law. There's nothing that I won't do for them short of, you know, outside of sin, obviously. Our very first job, Courtney was in grad school. I was making a very little amount of money. And, and I remember we, we get home from our wedding, we get home from our honeymoon and our refrigerator is stocked with food. And I could just tell you story after story about ways that they showed up at our house, that they've come through for us when we've been in times of need. And I look at my mother and my father-in-law and I will go, I will give you my kidney. because I understand how much you've done for me. And there's something that happened in Nehemiah's heart, that he's sitting in the palace, he's sitting in luxury, he's sitting where life was great, and God started to wreck his heart, and he realized that the distance that existed between he and God and his people and God, he realized that God was still, the door was still open. He realized that God wanted them, that God wanted him to be his, his, his man, that God wanted to have a relationship. He realized that God hadn't thrown the talent on the people of Israel. And there's something about that moment where he saw the door wide open, that God's heart was still open, that Nehemiah said, God, if you want us back, we want you. And for us, I don't know what you've done. I don't know how far you've run from God. I don't know how long you've been gone. But you need to know that God is not done with you. That the door is still open. And we know that because the tomb is still open. 
that Christ did die for our sins, but he rose from the dead. That he's alive, that right now he sees us and he hears us and he loves us and we get to have this relationship with him where we can spend the rest of our lives not living for ourselves and our glory, but for him and for his glory. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna invite us to, to come into his presence just as we are. You know, this, this morning, it was, it was raining when I got here and I just kept thinking there's something about um, walking um, outside where it's raining and then you walk into a room where it's hopefully not raining because there's a good ceiling on it, but, but you walk in and you, and you take down your umbrella, you take off your jacket and you're just like, oh, thank goodness, right? It's, it's dry in here and, and you take off and I've gone, man, that, that my hope for us is that we can come into this room in the same way we would like physically like take down these umbrellas and our jackets, that we would come in to the presence of God and we would say, okay, God, deal with my heart. I don't want to play this game, God. I don't want to pretend any longer. I don't want to just show up on Sunday. I'm dry and I'm bitter and my heart is hard. And God, I'm here. Would you just, would you open my eyes? Would you wake me up? So here's what we're going to do for the next few minutes. I'm going to invite you to, with the people around you, we're just going to talk for a few minutes and just pray together. We had this slide that I want to put up on, on, the, on the screen. And, and some of you, you come here this morning and, and if you're being real honest with yourself, you're going, man, I'm not sure if God is doing anything in my life. You come here this morning and you're a Christian and you're going, man, I'm just, I'm just living life and I'm not sure God is anything. And so the fact that we've been talking about this the past two weeks, that the enemy has just put this shame, he's put this condemnation on you that should not be there. And so what I want to encourage you to, to think about this morning, to, to think about this week, is just to start paying attention to the things that your heart starts to hurt for. Pay attention to the things that your eyes start to see. And for those of you this morning who come in, you go, I'm not sure if God's doing anything in my life. I encourage you to pray that first prayer. God, will you show me if there's something I can do with you and for you? God, is there a city I can rebuild? Is there a neighbor I can reach out to? God, is there something I can do for you? You know, when my kids, when they want to help me around the house, it slows me down exponentially. They're so inefficient. But Jones wants to help do the dishes or, or take the laundry and put it away. Or Finley wants to help make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I'm just going, every time she asks me to do that, I'm like, man, we're going to have to use seven knives and peanut butter is going to be everywhere. But if they keep begging, I keep letting them because I'm a kind of sorry dad. And the, the heavenly father is so different. If we come to him, we say, God, we just want to help in the kingdom. And for some of you, just as, this is your prayer this morning. For others of you, you come here and, and you're just in this period of waiting that God has spoken to you, but the door hasn't yet been opened. And so the second prayer is maybe the prayer for you. God, I covenant with you that I will keep praying about this with you. That you keep kindling that fire, that you would share that with the people around you. You maybe even share the thing that God has put in your heart and just ask that, 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 that God would add another log to that fire to keep you going. For some of you come here this morning and the Lord has spoken and a door has been opened and what you need is just power to walk through the fear. And this third prayer is for you, God, I trust that you have spoken to me and that you've opened a door and here are my fears. And I invite you with the people around you just to let out your fears. Some of you came here this morning and your life hasn't been changed by the gospel yet. You don't know Jesus, but you want to know him. And I encourage you just to pray this last prayer, not just today, but throughout this week. God, will you reveal to me how much you love me? 
So here's what I'm invited us to do. You can, you can do this by yourself. You can pray, and that is perfectly okay. Sometimes we just come in here, and we just need to let the Holy Spirit minister to us. And other times, man, there's something beautiful about opening up, letting other people see the fire that's in us. Our fire seems to build and encourage each other. And so I wanna invite you to take the next eight to 10 minutes, and we're just gonna play some music. Just let people in around what's going on in your life and to pray these prayers. And so we're gonna take 10 minutes to do that. I'll get back up. I'll send us to communion. But let's take the next few minutes and do this. If you don't feel comfortable, close your eyes and just say, hey, I'm gonna pray by myself. And that'll be totally okay. But let's do that um, for the next few minutes and I'll get back up and send us to communion.